0: Good morning church, good morning, my, 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 the song said that I will not be silent and I will use my voice to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord. It has been a year since we've been able to gather this way. And God has been gracious to us to allow us to be here because we've had loved ones who've gone on to the Creator this past year. And they are on the other side uh, where there is no more sorrow, sickness, sadness. Um, but God left us here and let every one and everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Some of us came through surgeries. Some of us came through COVID. And COVID affects your lungs and your breathing. But you're here. You're here today. Amen. You're here today. I'm here today. He's not done with us. He's not done with us. Well, now I have to get used to preaching to people (laughs) because I've been preaching to a camera for a year. So, uh, it may be a little awkward, but please bear with me. My, my, my. But it is so good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God. If you're watching at home, this is Strong Tower Bible Church where we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by being a Bible-based, multi-dimensional fellowship of believers. Our vision as a church is to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. And it's so good to know that the mission nor the vision of this church was hindered simply because we could not meet corporately in this building. But the mission continued. Disciples were being made. Converts, people were coming to Christ through this past year. And, of course, GDK, God's Diverse Kingdom, was definitely being experienced, explained, and expanded through social media. And we were able to reach more people uh, during COVID than we would have reached under normal circumstances, if you will. And so, uh, again, God, uh, he turned this thing around, and he amplified our presence and our voice in our city in the country even around the world with people watching from all around the world and uh, sending us messages and and so we thank God that uh, he allowed us to be a part of the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel and we've always been doing that with our social media but that much more our voice and our presence was amplified so praise God uh, some hungry people got fed on a regular basis through the food bank um so we thank God just that we could take a part in the kingdom and clothe some people, feed some people, help some people. Our giving uh, remained strong during COVID. We did not go without, and God met all of the needs that this church had. And, and we just thank Him. We just thank Him. We praise Him. We praise Him. So, uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 10. As we get started today, uh, we've been in a series called, Come As You Are, responding well to the invitations of Jesus Christ, that our Lord invites us to come. And when we think of who we are, that sin has separated us from God, and the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who invites us to come. And not just to come to experience eternal life, thank God for that, but also to experience abundant life, a full life, a good life, that he wants to be with us. And we thank him for that. But today, we're going to look at a man who came to Jesus, but he didn't stay with Jesus. So let me pray and then we'll get into the Word of God. God, thank you for giving us one more day, one more opportunity, and even one more chance to be in the house of God. Thank you, Lord. It's like King Josiah when he opened up the doors of the temple. There was so much joy, things that people had taken for granted. They were now able to appreciate more earnestly. And now, Father, here we are. The the doors of the church have been opened again, and we get to assemble. And thank you, Lord, that you even met us once again through pre-recorded worship as only you can. You can use anything for your glory if we are willing to submit ourselves to you. I thank you, Lord, for the team in this church that has kept things going over this time, being adaptable and flexible. Thank you for the men and women upstairs and those who record worship and those who work for Pastor Jerry and all of the sound men and women, the camera folks, those who decorate, Lord, we just thank you for how you've taken care of us. Thank you that we had an opportunity to be the church in a different season. And we pray for people around the world who are going through severe persecution, who are suffering, Uh, their lives are on the line because they dare to say your name, yet alone gather, whether that is in open or in private secrecy, because they love the name and the person of Jesus. So, Lord, may we not forget them this morning and help us as we come to the word of God. Give us what we need in this hour. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in life, I thank you that your word is alive and active and it will speak to us. You will speak to us. You will speak to me even as I preach on your behalf. So thank you, Holy Spirit. Can't wait to see how your breath, your wind will lead us in this moment. For it's in Jesus' name that I do pray. Amen. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. And can the masked people say amen? Amen. amen. Y'all still sound good with your mask on. Amen. <laughs> now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept. From my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So with your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, let me speak for a few minutes on the subject of the man who came to Jesus but walked away. The man who came to Jesus but walked away. Now, I try to be honest in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. What you see is what you get. So I must confess to you this morning that whenever I read this story, which is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whenever I read this story, I get irritated. I I just gotta confess it to you, I, I get irritated. This fellow gets on my nerves. I don't like him. I just got to be honest with y'all, because when I read the story, I not only see a rich, young ruler, but I see someone who is arrogant and someone who is conniving and someone who is disrespectful, and he is trying to play the master. He's trying to play the Lord. But as we just read, he ends up playing himself. So I have to confess to you, this fella makes me upset. I, I shake my head at him whenever I read the text. And based on where I come from, this is where my street vernacular comes in. I say to myself, this dude is out there. This dude is crazy. So therefore, I've got three points that I want to break down today. The first point is, dude came to Jesus. Can I say it plain? Dude came to Jesus. And then, dude conversed with Jesus. And then thirdly and finally, dude cut out from Jesus. Oh, we got to look at this dude today. I don't know his name, but I'm calling him dude. Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah. See, see, I haven't heard eight men's in a year. I might be asking for eight men's this whole sermon. <laughs> and you haven't been able to give one in the presence of the Lord. So, yeah, so, so yeah, 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 yeah. Dude came to Jesus. Look at verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do? That I may inherit eternal life. So the Bible says, one came. Now the Bible lets us know in Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, as Matthew gives his depiction of this story, that the one who came was young. He was young. Matthew 19:20. Luke 18:18 18, 18 tells us that he was a ruler or he had some kind of office, some kind of authority. So he was young, he was a ruler, and all three synoptic gospels say that he had great possessions, but Luke 18.23 says he was very rich. So we get an idea of who this young man was that came running. He was young, he had some kind of power and position because he was a ruler, and he was very, very wealthy. But also we see that, This dude was eager because he came running. So he's eager. Not only is he eager, I'd like to say that dude was dramatic. Why? Because he came running and then he knelt down. He came running and then he fell on his knees. So dude was dramatic, or as the young people like to say, he was extra. He was extra. You know, he's just a little over the top, you know, just a little over the top. Dramatic, you know, he was out there. But not only that, dude was disingenuous. He was disingenuous. Pastor, why do you say that? Because not only did he come running and kneeling before him, he asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do? Good teacher. And the way he addressed Jesus was disingenuous. Again, he's trying to play the Lord, he's trying to get over. On the Lord. Because when he comes to Jesus saying, good teacher, he's using flattery. He's using a compliment. He's being crafty as he's coming to Christ. He is what we would call today a schmoozer. Now, I had to look the word schmoozer up to make sure that it was an actual word because I use it from time to time. But I use a lot of words that Merriam-Webster does not recognize, but Merriam-Webster recognizes schmoozer. So I felt really good after I say, oh, a word I use is actually in the dictionary. He was a schmoozer. He was a manipulator. Now, millennials, uh, just just follow me on this because you won't understand, but you got to ask your parents when you go home. But there was a show called Leave It to Beaver. Oh, I got a witness right here on the front row. I got a witness right there. Sister Felicia shaking her head, Leave it to Beaver. Jerry Mathers, he played the beaver. He got in trouble every episode. But there was his older brother, Wally, And Wally's best friend was named Eddie Haskell. And Eddie Haskell was a schmoozer. Eddie Haskell was a manipulator because whenever he was in front of Mr. and Mrs. Ward and June Cleaver, I mean, June, her dresses were always neatly pressed. Her hair was always wrapped while she's doing housework. I mean, the house was already immaculate, and she's dressed with pearls every show. And, and he would come and stand before Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, and he would speak with the best uh, uh, terminology and respect. But soon as he got away from them and got in the room with Wally, he was breaking down all kind of street slang, and, and he was corrupt, trying to corrupt Wally. And, and that's how he was. He gave him the good foot, but he, he didn't let him know he had a bad foot. Because James Brown said, can I get it on a good foot? And a lot of people only see the good foot, but don't see the bad foot. They see the acting, but they don't see the reality. And this guy was like Eddie Haskell, good teacher. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you're not going to fool me. Because in John chapter 2, uh, verse 24, I got to read this for you. You see, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God none of the time. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them, all of these people that were coming, because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in a man. In other words, he knew everybody's heart. He knew everybody's motive. So when you came to the creator, you couldn't play him like you could play somebody else because he already knew everything about you, what's going on, what you're going to say, all of that kind of stuff. So you can't play the master, but here he comes, good teacher. And then he says, what shall I do in order to inherit eternal life? Because I gotta do something. It's it's up to me, it's not up to God. What must I do? And this was a common way of thinking in the first century amongst a group of pious people who were trying to live by the law. They felt that they could do something to inherit or earn eternal life. And there are a lot of people today who still think that. No matter how much you tell them Jesus died for you, we're saved by grace through faith, it's like, yeah, but I still got to do something like go to church. I still got to do something like uh, uh, not cuss. I still got to do something like get baptized. Uh, uh, Grace and what Jesus accomplished on the cross is just never enough because we feel like we got to do something. Well, we can't do anything. And I'm going to say something to you in a minute except believe. And even the believing is a gift from God. Because when we get to heaven, no one is going to boast about what they did to get there. All of the praise, honor, glory, credit will go to God. So if we could do a little something, we would get the glory and take the glory, take the credit. But no, 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 no. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, I got to read now to you John chapter 6. Verse 28, because again, this was a common theme then and now. I've got to do something. Uh, Trusting Jesus just can't be enough. Well, the Bible says after Jesus fed the 5,000, they said to him, verse 28 of John 6, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So, this is the work. What's the work? Belief is the work. And even with belief, it doesn't originate with us because there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. We were dead in trespasses and in sins. So God had to come to us and give us faith. And you can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, when Paul gives his testimony and he says, grace, love, and faith were poured out on me in abundance. God gave me faith so I could put faith back in him so I can't take credit for the faith that I have because he told the disciples, you didn't choose me, but I what? chose you. So I got to give him praise that he chose me and he gave me faith to put faith back into him because I was dead and lost and not seeking after him. He sought after me. So what is the work? It is to believe. And now that I believe, now I work. Mm, I could chase that, but I won't because we got a lot of believers who don't want to work. <laughs> but you can't have faith And say, or rather have faith and not have works because your faith is dead if there are no works accompanying your faith. But we can't put faith in front of works in front of faith. Oh, man, oh, man, let me go. I got to move on. Uh, But dude came to Jesus. Second point, dude conversed with Jesus. We're back at Mark chapter 10, verse 18 or oh, let me go back to verse 17 where he says them good teacher what shall i do that i may inherit eternal life so jesus said to him in this conversation why do you call me good no one is good but one that is god oh stop and pause just for a second because as you read that jesus is almost implying that he's not good Because he says, why are you calling me good? There's only one person who's good, and that's God. And it's as if the Lord is saying, I'm not good. Now, we know that can't be the case because Jesus is good. In fact, Jesus is perfect. But what is he dealing with? He's trying to get this young man to watch the words that he uses. Because if you're going to come to me and call me good teacher, and if we understand that only God is good, are you willing to call me good because you recognize that I am God? Oh, that went over your head. I, I, I got to say it one more time if I can. Lord, help me. Uh, 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 don't come to me calling me good unless you're willing to come to me and call me God. Don't, don't try to flatter me and say good teacher because we know that only one is good and that's God. Are you willing to call me good teacher and call me good God? Now, I got to let you know something. I'm going to let the cat out the bag early. When homeboy or dude talks to Christ again in verse 20, he drops the adjective good. And he just says, teacher. (laughs) In other words, he understood what Jesus was saying. I'm God. Are you really willing? When you fall down and kneel, are you really willing to worship me as God in the flesh, or are you just kneeling as a show for everybody? Am I good? Okay, but I'm also God. Can you say that? Uh, uh, Teacher, (laughs) what happened to God? But anyway, the conversation goes on. And Jesus says to him in verse 19, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Now watch the wisdom of Jesus here in this conversation. Jesus quotes five of the Ten Commandments, or six of the Ten Commandments. And he quotes the second half of the Ten Commandments, not the first half. The first half deals with, uh, you shall have no gods before me. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, you have the first four of the Decalogue, you know, the, the, the commandments that deal with our relationship to God. Now, the second six deal with our relationship to one another about not murdering, not bearing false witness or lying, committing adultery, coveting, those kind of things. So when Jesus talks to this young man, he says, let me talk to you about really the second half of the Ten Commandments as it pertains to your relationship with people. Uh, uh, because, Because Jesus has to show this young man, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as righteous as you think you are. Because remember when he gives him the commandments and the young fella says, I have kept all of these. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, you've kept all these. Because what the Lord is trying to do, the purpose of the law is to show you that you've sinned. The purpose of the law, it acts like a mirror. It shows you how jacked up you are. But it can't fix your jacked upness. See, there it is. That word is not in Merriam-Webster. It it can't fix your raggediness. Uh, It shows you how bad you are, and it shows you your need for a savior, which is why Paul said Jesus is the end of the law. The law is used to lead us to Jesus, the one who's going to die in the place of lawbreakers because he never broke a law, which makes him qualified to save lawbreakers. So the law was put into effect. It's good. It's right. But none of us can keep it. But this fella had the audacity to say, I've kept all these from my youth. From your youth? That's when we broke most of the commandments. From your youth? You never committed adultery, huh? Not by the letter of the law. But have you ever looked on someone with lust in your heart? Because Jesus preached that too in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 28. Because Jesus knew his audience. He knew there were letter keepers. Oh boy, I keep the law by the letter. What about the spirit, homie? Your heart is jacked up. And, And God sees your heart when other folks don't see your heart. God sees your motives. God knows your lust. And you have fallen short of God's glory in your heart, even if you didn't break the quote-unquote letter of the law. That's why they had to get rid of Jesus, because Jesus was, God was using him to expose their filth. And rather than repenting and falling on the mercies of God, they continued to try to stand strong in their piety and self-righteousness. And then, okay, uh, you never murdered anyone, but have you hated anyone. Matthew chapter 5, also verses 21 and 22. Have you ever hated anybody? And if you've ever hated anyone, held a grudge against someone, you are a lawbreaker. Uh, uh, You say you never stole anything, huh? Do not steal. You you never stole anything, huh? Really? Uh, 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 How about the way you amass your wealth? You didn't take from people, take advantage of people. Uh, you didn't go into Taco Bell and ask for a water cup, and then go to the dispenser and get Sprite because it looks like water. I've done that, Lord. Have me. I'm sorry, I've done it. <laughs> And I'm trying to justify it. You know, at these prices, they ought to be giving me, you know, they, I'll take water. Mm-hmm. Pastor Chris, oh, hey, 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 praise the Lord, good to see you. <coughs> Stolen. We've all walked out of stores as children with something we didn't buy. And many of us had them kind of parents that would take you back into the store and let you tell the clerk that you stole something out of the store, and they'll lecture you right there in front of them. So it's set in your mind. Don't ever walk out of here with that uh, hubba-bubba in your hand, that bubble yum. I'm going back too far, Charles. They don't understand how far back I just went. Hubba-bubba, can I get a witness? Uh, 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 big League Chew, can I get a witness? Now or laters, can I get a witness? Woo! You just, you know, walk out. Mm-hmm. Bro, you done stole something. Or or how about stealing from people's character because you talk about them? You're a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. Uh, You never defrauded or coveted someone else's things. You never looked at something that someone else had and said, man, I want that for myself. You never dishonored your parents. You always obeyed your parents. And this man had the nerve to say, I have kept the law ever since I was young. And while he's saying this, he's looking at the only perfect person who ever lived. (laughs) He's telling the only perfect person that I'm just as perfect as you are. You see how jacked up this dude is? And I think one of the reasons he irritates me is that he reminds me of myself. You may not want to be that honest today, but sometimes I'm like that. I I try to act like I'm I'm all of that, and and, you know, and and then God humbles me and says, you know, um, there's none who will do good and there not be sin. There's none righteous, uh, no, not one. Uh, 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 For whenever I would do good, evil is present with me. At your best moments, you're still falling. Oh, wretched man that I am. Uh, 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 So so I don't always like to be reminded of of the fact that I'm dust, and sometimes I can get more dusty than I need to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dr. Tony Evans says, Our sinful hearts have a habit of appraising us as better than we are. I'm going to read that one more time. Dr. Tony Evans, Our sinful hearts have a habit of appraising us as better than we are. Because the worst kind of deception is self-deception, and you're trying to deceive God, which is even worse than trying to deceive yourself. So this guy's like, man, I've kept the law. Well, that's why verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. <laughs> when I read that, uh, uh, when, when I read that, it's like Jesus is looking at this guy. It's like this, this dude is clueless. This dude is oblivious to what's really happening, and he looks at him with love, agape, because agape is unconditional love. It's a love that, again, looks beyond your faults, and it sees your need. Jesus is looking at this guy like, you are tore up from the floor up, but I still love you. I still love you. You're talking out of the side of your neck, but I still love you. you saying stuff, I'm not even sure you really believe it, but I Still love you, anyway. In all of your folly, you're trying to convince me of how righteous you are. Oh, young man, dude, I love you, and I love you enough to challenge you with truth. Because he's about challenging. I love you enough to not change the rules for you. Because I know as a rich guy with power. You're probably used to getting your way. You're probably used to people, you know, letting you slide by and go by, making an exception for you because you're rich. And they think maybe if I do something for the rich guy, the rich guy will do something for me when I need it. But Jesus was not a money hungry preacher, uh, Je- Jesus was not impressed with this guy's wealth he owns everything. Jesus owns everything. There's nothing you can bring to me that's going to impress me. You may impress them, but you will not impress me. As a matter of fact, in the earlier portions of Mark, uh, uh, the children were coming to Jesus, but the disciples said, no, we can't let the children come to Jesus. So they put up barricades around Christ. Don't let the kids come. And Jesus said, man, don't, don't stop the children. Let the children come to me. But I wonder when this guy came running up to Jesus, how come the preachers didn't put a barricade up to stop the rich guy from coming? (laughs) They could stop the children, but they couldn't stop the rich guy. (laughs) Because a lot of preachers like rich guys. (laughs) A lot of preachers need rich guys, but Jesus didn't make it easy for this man. There was no easy believism with Jesus, There was no greasy grace with Jesus because what does Jesus say to him? He says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus didn't make it easy for my man. So the third and final point is that after this conversation, dude cut out. Verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now remember, he running all up in there, (laughs) falling down on his knees. But he got checked in love with truth and got up and walked away because he has just proven he's a lawbreaker. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, he obviously broke the first commandment which is part of the first part of the Decalogue, which is you shall have no other God before me. What God did he have before God? His money. His money. So Jesus didn't even go there on that part about loving God. You love your money more than you love God. So you're a lawbreaker and you need salvation and you need grace. But this second part, when I tell you go sell what you have and give it to the poor, I want to see if you really love your neighbor or not. And because you'd rather hold on to your stuff than help your neighbor, you've just proven that you're a lawbreaker as well. You're not loving God. You're not loving people. But you coming up in here telling me you done kept the law. I give you one simple thing because you asked me, what should I do? I'm going to tell you what to do. Give this stuff up. Come follow me. Take up your cross and be my disciple. Homeboy said, no, I can't do that. Because I'm coming to you on my agenda. And when my agenda does not line up with you, the agenda, then I can't follow you. (laughs) I I, got to do my own thing. I got to go away. And he chooses to walk away from Jesus. And it makes me ask the question, who or what are we putting before God? It's easy to look at him and point out, man, look at what he did. But where are we not surrendering idols and things to God? How are we not loving our neighbors well? How are we not helping the poor and the underserved and the marginalized? Does our faith show up in those places or is it just something we talk about but it's not things that we are about? What are we putting before God? Because if we become a Christ follower, It's about carrying a cross, which means I must die to myself daily. I must deny myself. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And is he worthy of everything in my pocket? And is he worthy of everything in my heart? So every day i got to come to grips with that every day because every day I realize how much of an idolater I am. And I have to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy on me. And I thank God that salvation is a process. Because we're all in process of being delivered from our idols. We all have them. We make our family an idol. We make our spouses an idol. We make our singleness an idol. We make our jobs an idol. We make our wages an idol. We can even make ministry and church an idol. It's very subtle, and we put it before God. And every day God is examining our hearts to see, Am I really first? Are you really seeking first the kingdom or are you really trying to build your kingdom and amplify your name every day? Which is why I need to use that cross every day. Recognize that I did die with Christ, but I still need to die today to things that are not like Christ in my practice. By position, I've died with him. I was buried with him, but in my day-to-day practice, Lord, I confess that that's not like you because although I'm not in Adam Adam is still in me. My flesh is still falling, even though I'm a new person inside. There's a battle every day, and Lord, I don't always yield to you. I don't always submit to you. People are tripping that Kirk Franklin was heard on audio cussing his 33-year-old son out. People are tripping. Oh, that's Kirk Franklin is talking like that. That his son secretly recorded him and Kirk Franklin. Uh, uh, Give me one a revolution. Woo, woo. Do you want a revolution? And Kirk is over here. You better blankety blank. I'll put my foot in your. <laughs> and people are like, oh, can we be real? <laughs> there's a reason why Jesus said every idle word uh, that men speak they'll have to give an account of on the day of judgment. Well, when Jesus said that there were no recording devices. So judgment has just come a little bit early in some cases where we get to see what we really are. We're all broken. Whether you know God or you don't know God, which is why if you don't know God, you better take your broken behind to Jesus. We're broken. And and, and if the stuff you said and I said was recorded and for the whole whole world to see on that one moment, you just lost it. And that's why with grace, grace does not define you by by that failure. Grace does not define you by that one moment in in your life or this latest moment in your life. Grace defines you by God not by you or your lack of performance, which is why it makes grace that much more amazing that his grace superabounds over my junk. So this morning Doreen and I prayed, Lord, I pray that as Kirk has been somewhat humbled by this that you'll use the humility to to continue to sharpen him and purge him and cleanse him and use this to bring him and his son back together and work their relationship out. Use, Lord God, them being exposed on the national stage to remind them of how much they need you. I believe God can do that because mercy uh, is greater. It triumphs over judgment. But man, what about my life and your life? We're lawbreakers and we need someone to save us, and that's Jesus. You see, when combined, money, power, and religion can be great hindrance and hindrances in knowing God. Money, power, and religion. Young man had all three, money, power, and religion. But obviously, there was still a void in his life because he comes to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because something spiritually is missing, even though I have money, even though I have power, and I've got religion, but something is missing inside of me. So he goes to Jesus. He just goes to Jesus the wrong way. I'll I'll say that in the conclusion. I'll explain that. You see, in the first century, it was a commonly held belief that wealth was a sign of God's favor. And poverty was a sign of God's displeasure. So in the first century, if you had money, that meant that God's favor was on you. If you didn't have money, God's displeasure was on you. And that sounds like a whole lot of churches in the 21st century who preached this gospel of health and wealth and material prosperity. The stuff that doesn't work in other nations around the world only works here in America, and it barely works here. Uh, uh, so, so that's a lie. Why? Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 4, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And so, after this episode with this young man, uh, Jesus turns around and starts preaching because this young man's gonna walk away with all of his money. And Jesus is gonna say, I'm gonna have to use you as a sermon illustration and say, It's hard for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, that the disciples were astonished when Jesus said that in verse 23 because they grew up hearing that I want to be rich, because to be rich means you got the favor of God. And here you are, master, talking about if you're rich, you might not even make it into the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for rich folk to get into heaven. Jesus came and subverted the entire belief system of the day and said that, no, 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 you need to check yourself. God's favor does not necessarily rest only on rich people, and God and poor people are not under his favor. Why? Because Jesus would go on to say in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, and Luke chapter 20, verse 47, the Pharisees and the scribes were considered to be rich men, yet they plundered the property of helpless widows. So Christ is calling them out. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. Now, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having money, but money has the propensity to have the people who have it. So you got to be careful because people will substitute money for God because money is meeting your needs. So you don't need to ask God to meet your needs. So be careful. You can't serve God and money. Uh, Jesus also said in Luke 16, 19 verses uh, uh, 16, verses 19 through 21, The rich live in great luxury and fare sumptuously while ignoring the abject poverty of those at their gates. So Jesus would preach against excessive wealth and abuse and ignoring the poor. And that's the parable he tells in Luke 16. And when he tells it, he not only talks about how the rich man ignored Lazarus, But when the rich man died, Jesus had the nerve to say that the rich man opened up his eyes in hell. That didn't make Jesus a popular preacher in his time. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, that the rich foolishly build up storehouses for themselves while disregarding the needs of others. And in Luke 19:9, 9, Jesus commended Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, after he said he would give half his goods to the poor and restore fourfold anything he had taken or stolen from others. And then Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house. It's not easy believism here. It's proof that he's believed, that he's willing to repent and give back money he stole and help poor people out. So Jesus is coming, changing the paradigm of how people would think in that day because God's favor is with the rich. Well, wait a minute now. You need to read the Bible because in James 1.9 and James 2.5, it says the poor are said to have an advantage over the rich because the poor are rich in faith. In James chapter 2, verse 6, and James chapter 5, verse 4, it says the rich are condemned as those who oppress the poor, drag the poor to court, and rob them of their wages, making billions of dollars, but can't take the minimum wage up to $15 in a Christian nation. Man, you must be kidding me. It's embarrassing, but when you preach like this, they'll try to crucify you. Now, unless the rich, listen to this, act in noticeably charitable ways, like Joseph of Arimathea, who was rich, who took the body of Jesus off the cross and put it in his tomb. Unless the rich use their resources in charitable ways, they are usually portrayed in the New Testament in negative light. They're usually portrayed as being greedy, ungodly, and arrogant. Therefore, when Jesus asked this man to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, it was a test for him to see where his heart was and what he worshiped more than God. And he unfortunately failed the test. He chose to walk away. He had his money, but he didn't have Jesus. And this was probably the first time, once again, that he didn't get his way. And he probably went home pouting, walked away from Jesus upset because Jesus didn't give in to him. Jesus lovingly challenged him and called him up. And one thing God will never take from us is our ability to choose. And neither will he take from us uh, the consequences of the choices that we make. So he gives all of us the ability to choose he will never circumvent our will to make us choose him because God is like this. I'm so good, powerful, and glorious. If you don't want to choose me, you really are missing out. I'm so glorious. No, no, you should want to be with me. But his money was first. Now, 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 now as I close this, here's what you've got to see. I love this part because as the young man walked away, Jesus didn't chase him. That may not do anything for you, but that does a lot for me. Uh, uh, Jesus didn't beg him to stay. Uh, Jesus didn't go and chase him. Oh, man, please come back. No, Jesus like, okay, you made your choice. Okay, you're leaving. And now let me turn around and start preaching about this dude. See, when you live with a preacher, anything or anyone can be an illustration at any time. That's so just fair game, you know. But he did not chase after him. Here's the lesson it's helped me. There are some people that, not all, but some, when they walk away from you, when they walk out of your life, don't chase them. Don't beg somebody to be in your life that doesn't want to be in your life. Now use that with wisdom. Don't go home and you know, say to your spouse, man, I don't want you no more, you know, and all that. Don't, don't do that, Pastor Chris said. That, don't, don't, don't stretch it that far. But there are some situations though where there are some spouses who basically turned their back on you and left you. And the Holy Spirit just might say to you, after you've done all that you can, to live at peace, and they still don't want it. Some of them, you just got to let them go and say goodbye and stop chasing them and being codependent and put your dependency on God and say, God, they may have left me, but you haven't. My identity is not found in the people who left. My identity is found in God and the people who've stayed. As a pastor, it's taken me a lot of years to learn this. Because I would get sad when people would leave the church. Are they mad? Are they upset about this? They're upset. Oh, I'm so sad. They're leaving. Let me call them. Let me go to their house. Man, I've grown. Uh, I've grown. Number one, you don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. Number two, you don't belong to this church Hopefully, you belong to the kingdom. There are a whole lot of churches all over this place, and God can send you and lead you wherever he want to go. You don't belong to me. You don't have to be here. Uh, 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 so, so, peace. See you. We love you. See you in glory. Hopefully. Bye-bye. <laughs> but I used to stay up late. Oh, man. Taking it personal. The Lord is like, man, I'm not chasing after you. <laughs> That was just for me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to turn this into a counseling session, but but you got to learn, you know. Oh Lord, Felicia, pray for me. All right. Uh, uh, uh. Jesus didn't change his message to make the rich guy feel better. He preached the word. Jesus knew what his struggle was. Those possessions. So put those possessions aside and follow me. The young man said, no, I can't do that. So we learn from him that everyone who comes to Jesus won't stay with Jesus. And everyone who comes to Jesus, we all have things that we are tempted to place before him. But every day we must be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm putting my anxiety before you. I'm putting my cares, my financial challenges before you. I'm putting stuff before you. And this young man teaches you and he teaches me, nothing is worthy of going before the Lord. Ah. And again, I think as I look at him honestly, I see myself, the desire to be independent The desire to act like I know more than God and sometimes even the desire to not even want to listen when God is speaking and challenging me in a loving way. But I'm grateful that I'm different from this young man, though, and that is I stay with Jesus. I don't walk away from Jesus. I may wrestle with him. I may uh, argue with him, but my will will eventually submit to his will. That's the Christian walk, and he's a patient savior, and like he looks at this guy and loves him when he's talking all loud and wrong, he looks at you and me, and he loves us in the midst of our folly, our foolishness, our fears, and it's his love that calms us. It's his love that casts out the fear if we're willing to be trained by it. Some of God's kids are just hard-headed. But a hard head makes for what? Soft behind. And he loves you enough to discipline you. But oh, I don't want to stay on his knee. I want to stay in his lap and just be loved on. But he will turn the lap into a disciplined place because he loves us. But this young man would not. He chose not to come to Jesus. He walked away. Father, thank you for this word. My, my, my. It's real. Jesus, I'm so glad that the Bible records moments where people rejected you because it gives us hope when we're rejected by people. And it shows us also of what we should not be like. Lord, the disciples asked a question. They were like, wow, uh, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. Uh, what's going to happen to us? And you ministered to them and answered their questions. I thank you that you're the kind of God who wants our questions. I just pray that when you answer them, we'll accept your answers and not try to make you fit into our agenda or to make you uh, be squeezed into our mold of what we want. Or because we're Americans and we're used to being on top, that we can't humble ourselves and say we don't understand. We can't humble ourselves and admit that our institutions, our churches that claim to be Christian are very much like this young man that they can do religious things but not have a true relationship with Yeshua HaMashiach. Oh God, may we strip it down to loving you and loving our neighbor. May we strip it down to the simple things Of humbling ourselves and just being obedient to you and if there's someone watching and you don't have a relationship with jesus come to him he invites you to come but you can't come to him on your terms you must come to him on his terms you must take up his cross you must die in order to live You must decrease that you may experience an increased life. You must give your life to him. And when you do, you will find life. But if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose your life. Don't be like this rich young ruler. Don't think that you know more than God. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Give him your life. Say, Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Do not come to Jesus saying what you've done and how you've helped people and how you've given money. No, come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm lost and I need you. Jesus, I'm broken. Put me together. Jesus, I'm empty. Fill me. And I promise you, you pray that prayer, your life will be changed. You will not be perfect down here. But you will be perfect in the sight of God because you will be perfectly forgiven. And the righteousness of Jesus will be in your bank account. My God, trust him now. And if you're a Christian and you're out there trying to do your own thing, it's time to come on back and do his thing. You can't have it your way if you call yourself a Christian, you must have it his way. You are miserable. You must yield. You must repent. You must come back. Come back, backslider. Come back to Jesus. Come back to the person of Christ. Not the church. Let that come later. Come to Jesus. Not the people who hurt you in the ministry. Come to Jesus. Stop using stuff as an excuse what your mama did. Come to Jesus. Oh, Christian, and be at peace again. Thank you, God, for the Bible, for the word. And when we leave here, help us to meditate on what we've heard. Help us to study and to think and to read about the things we've heard. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.